0: Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Luke Thomas. It is, uh, what day is it today? Christ. It's uh, Wednesday, October 14th, 2015. So, what you're looking at here, it looks like a control room because it is. This is Studio B here in New York City. And um, this camera you're looking at right now sucks. So, it's the one you're normally accustomed to looking at. The reason why is because. For months, they had been working on a new setup for me, and, uh, oh God, it's just one disaster after another. And uh, we had it working just before the show started, and now it's not working. So that's awesome, right? That's a lot of fun. Oh uh, God, it's just like, though—it's like you just can't make any progress in this world. Um, but you don't care about that. So hold on just a second. And if you're asking, like, why is it everything set up so poorly at the last minute? It's because I had to, like, latch this on at the last minute. All right. Today on the podcast, what will we talk about? We'll talk about Ronda Rousey's mom going ape on um, Ronda Rousey's coach, Edmund Torverdian. Um, Ronda Rousey and Travis Brown news to the extent that that is, we can explore that from a non-gossipy angle. And um, talk about it from some, some, some a different perspective. The fallout. From Team Alpha Male, continues to roll forward. Um, and then Nick Diaz's petition cleared 100,000 signatures on WhiteHouse.gov. So we'll talk about what's next for that as well. Best place to do that, of course, is on MMAfighting.com. God, I cannot believe this setup didn't work. It just worked five minutes ago. You'd get crisp HD. I mean, talking crisp HD. Uh, you can still see some of the lighting. See when I block it, the lighting goes away? There's still some lighting there. So I'm going to use some of that for now. Um, and the lighting actually changes color a little bit here too. You can go tungsten, but then I look like orange with the tungsten. So then you go back to normal. So I'll use some of that. Um, so at least we'll have some better lighting this time. I guess that's the better part, but God damn, that is disappointing. All right. MMAfighting.com for all your questions. Um, follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. And of course to subscribe to the podcast, we're on SoundCloud as well as iTunes.com slash promotional malpractice. All right. With that out of the way, God, uh, you have no idea how upsetting this is right now, Been working on this thing for months, and it was, they just had it working, and you should see how good it looks. Oh, instead, I'm still getting this goddamn webcam. All right. Oh, and by the way, don't sleep. I'm in New York City, by the way. This is where we shoot Luke Thomas is Pissed, for those of you who have seen that. It's um when I shoot it, I'm facing towards this glass here, and then I, behind me is whatever. But as you can see right now, it's just a storage unit. But this is this is Studio B here in New York City. I'm in New York City. Oh, I cannot believe it didn't work. I cannot effing believe it did not work. Oh, here I was ready to roll out. How chat come to come up, man? Some high definition video, some crisp sound. Nope, same old crap. All right. First question. Rossi's mother says Coach Edmund won the lottery when Ronda walked into the gym. Luke, did you see the comments that Ronda Rossi's mother said about Edmund? She called him a terrible coach and said he won the lottery when she walked in there. On the one hand, I agree he won the lottery, as does any gym that John Jones steps in. But at the end of the day, he's the coach that she's winning with. Right. I mean, but that's not the most – that's not the most – powerful, you know, um, argument. You've seen in college football, you know, there'll be dynasties and sometimes a coach will leave in the middle of one and another one will take over. And as long as he doesn't mess up what was already there, he can continue to win. But you don't really get – you you only get credit in that particular circumstance for not botching it. That's the same thing as being like an excellent coach or a developmental coach. I mean, certainly he has brought along her striking. Certainly she is not suffering as a lack of his input. Um, I think we can all detect that her progression in all forms, uh, including grappling for MMA purposes, has uh, improved. Um, Her striking looks a lot better. So, you know, to what extent he's a bad coach, I don't know. To what extent he's a bad person and what the particular nature of her um, gripe is, I don't know. I've only met him once. He was friendly, but it was a very... We talked for like a couple of minutes at most, if, if even that. So I, you know, I, this is not any kind of real encounter you can base any kind of uh, substantive judgment call on. But be that as it may, um, so I don't know. I don't know exactly what she's saying, but I would say that you know, for her to be so vociferous and public with it is problematic. You do have to wonder going forward to what extent that will have an impact on Rossi's training with her or with with him, I should say, or with anyone else. To what extent it will have a potential impact on the relationship that the mother and the daughter have, although I suspect that um, that bond is fairly difficult to interfere with. Um, But, you know, there's been arguments made that, like, if you take out Rousey, who was the most successful fighter out of Edmund's gym? You know, he's had a couple people who are already pretty good come over and learn some extra things, right? Uh, Jake Ellenberger, to a lesser extent, Travis Brown, I suppose, and some others. But, you know, from a developmental context, um, there's not a lot of evidence yet. And so you could also make the argument that, like, as long as you had a reasonably good coach, couldn't Rousey go to any of them and have become what she became given her work ethic, given her a degree of athleticism, given her degree of professional skill? Uh, there's that argument to be made as well. It, it Until we know more details because the Parties involved wish to flesh this out. Uh, We don't really know what this is all about. But it's interesting, and it's highly explosive. And it'll be curious to see which way the wind blows here. About whether or not, you know, she sticks around there, or... uh, I don't think she would go to a super team, but to to what extent she would build another team around her if it got so toxic. But once you start hearing these voices chirping, man, I'm not saying it's the beginning of the end, but it's the beginning of the end of something. Uh, What are your thoughts on the fans' reaction on Brown announcing Rhonda being his woman, followed by Rhonda's confirmation of their relationship? Look, insofar as that is a gossip story, I don't care at all. I don't care who she dates. I don't care who she doesn't date. I don't care if she were gay or straight. I don't care if she were celibate. It just doesn't – not romantically inclined at all. It It wouldn't matter to me. It's not my business, and I don't really care. So on that level, I don't think it's a very interesting story. Or story at all. Um, the way it does get interesting is, to me, it's sort of funny, right? Or not funny. Funny is a strong word. Funny, in a, in, not in the ha-ha sense, but in the curious sense. You know, um, look, Brown was more or less exonerated of the accusations of domestic violence. It wasn't that they found no evidence. They found inconclusive evidence. But in the inconclusive insofar as they couldn't really do anything with it and um so there's that then you have the recent revelations that rousey was involved in some kind i don't know what you want to call it so i should be very careful about my terms but i think at a very basic level um incredibly unhealthy situation so from her book which i did not read but someone i tweeted excerpts from it like like a screenshot of the pages actually and in it, she described a situation where she had found out one of her exes had taken um, photos of her nude and had kept them probably for purposes of selling down the road or to be a creep in some other capacity. Who knows? But certainly without her consent, put it that way, which is incredibly disturbing in its own right and um, you know, deeply unethical and an invasion of every uh, bit of privacy and a, and a dissolution of trust. I mean, you can go on and on about how awful that is. Um, so she was rightly angry about it when she writes in the book, but what she says is that when she confronted him, this is my understanding of what the book says, that, um, there were a couple of incidences where she was trying to leave the house and he was blocking the way, you know, not physically like roughing her up, but sort of blocking any path to an exit. But before all that, that she had, he, before he had physically done anything, um, that she had, uh, slapped him so hard that her hand hurt. That was the way she described it. And then again, I don't know exactly what the rules are, um, with whether or not that's a uh, actionable offense, whether it's illegal, or whether that can be duly classified as domestic violence. It's not. A, it's not a subject that I have a tremendous amount of expertise in. But suffice to say that it's probably on some level, virtually. No one in their right mind would say that uh, what the person did taking photos was appropriate. I don't think anyone in their right mind would also say that, that, that slapping someone so hard that their face hurt would be equally appropriate. And if you're one of those guys who's like, you know, you got what was coming to him. you know, uh, your opinion on things I I, I challenge greatly. Because that's, not, that's, that's just not what an adult says. Um, which isn't to say she didn't have a a right to be uh, super angry and also we shall be very careful. These are just what she put in the book. We don't, real, we don't, we don't know to what extent that's been edited or not or what the truth of the matter is. And frankly, you know, <laughs> I am, vi- I, I'm not here to condemn her about it because I am not in a position and neither are you to go out there and just be like, well, she should live her life this way. She should live her life that way. It's like I, I have enough trouble worrying about my own affairs I look back on my life before the age of 30 and I have made so many mistakes. Not so much one one's centered on violence necessarily, but it doesn't matter. Like we all have our cross to bear. I'm very much not in a position to say, <clears throat> you know, let me tell you how to live. Right. And if the guy didn't press charges at the time, then, you know, who cares? And if that had happened to me, I would not press charges. Right. But I do think it sort of says that you've been held up as this icon of, progress, and of, uh, on some level, I think very fairly, of feminism, and she has, you know, spoken out vociferously against uh, Floyd Mayweather, and so forth, and yet, you know, um, it's not that she is, uh, some people are like, oh, well, she's a hypocrite. I think that's a strong word. I don't think that's correct, but I guess there is something to be said for um, you know, if you're going to make it a point to underscore the inability of someone like Floyd Mayweather who by the way is just you know on some level just a gross person right his his crimes are so egregious but if you're going to make it a point to like you know distance yourself from him and, and and classify yourself as some sort of opposite um these are some curious life choices that you've also made relative to um, things listed in that book, and then recent choices about uh, about how you handle your life. And again, if that's the way she wants to do it, look, <laughs> she is infinitely more successful than any of us watching this. You know, we, we could we could we could we could be so lucky as to be half as successful as her. Um, but nevertheless, success does not preclude one from examination or from crit- criticism. Uh, even earnest fair criticism or even the act of asking questions. To me, it's just, it's not impropriety that I'm looking at. Or again, some fans have said hypocrisy. I think that's a strong word because it's not the same. But it is, it, it certainly muddies the clarity of the picture considerably. All right. Is Dillashaw's move to Elevation Training Center or Elevation Fight Team, whatever, a smart decision? Luke, last week, Dillashaw announced this He was leaving, blah, 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 blah. Um, He was attracted to incredible coaching staff and state-of-the-art facilities and so forth. Although it seems like a smart career move by TJ, I wonder whether or not he'll truly benefit from his new training center in the long run. Notable fighters such as Matt Brown, Brandon Thatch, Neil Magny, and Kat currently train out of there and have nearly had all shortcomings in their recent fights this year. Even though Team Elevation does have state-of-the-art training resources, it seems that it hasn't translated into a high success rate for the fighters to train out of that gym. I can't help but think Dillashaw might be rolling the dice by leaving the world-renowned Team Alpha Male for a gym that is considerably less proven at this point in time. While the previously mentioned fighters are not of TJ's caliber, do you think he can substitute training with the elite high-level athletes of Team Alpha Male for the use of the high-tech facilities at ETC? I don't. Yeah, so it's a good question. And uh, we brought this up last week on the MMA beat, whether it's fair or it's not, whatever happens in that Cruz fight is going to be a referendum on the choice, right? And so, you know, and I don't, frankly, I think Cruz is going to win no matter what. So I think some people are going to be like, oh my God, you made a terrible choice. You know, I don't, I don't know about that. Um, You know, it's interesting if you, people were like coming up to me. So like, I actually wrote the article for MMA fighting last week about, Faber's comments on that Team Alpha Male podcast that they have, which, by the way, it was driving me nuts because he was eating on the podcast. Like you could hear him chewing. Which if anybody who knows who I am, it is like my number one pet peeve. If you're on the radio and you're eating, I want you to get hit by a bus. Now I don't want your favor to get hit by a bus, but you know what I'm saying. All right. There's nothing worse than driving driving in your car, turning on the radio, and some Jackal is on there. Uh, mwah, mwah. Oh, I want to take a crowbar to your melon, quick! When I hear something like that. But um, as <laughs> there's a, there's a pointless aside, uh, pointless aside, notwithstanding the content of what what he said. What was interesting to me was that there was a lot about what well, he was upset with TJ. But the main crux of it, when you listen to it, is that. Um, Look, he is a businessman trying to build Team Alpha Male into something, and there were guys he had noted that had been there with him since age 10 or 11 that he was trying to turn into champions, all of which is totally fair, all of which is totally understandable, all of which makes a lot of sense for Uriah Faber. But that's not TJ Dillashaw's dream. I don't know that he owned any part of Team Alpha Male. I don't think he owned a 1% share of it. I think he contributed to the larger atmosphere – uh, and they gave back to him it was reciprocal in that way but this is not this is not some case of um, of we are mutually in business together whatever the rewards for the larger team alpha male were the the virtual lion share or all of them are enjoyed by the people who own that business um, that is not TJ so to me that was one thing that really sort of stuck out it's like unless you're cutting these guys in on this um, Financially, I, I don't understand why your dream should be their dream. Your dream is fine. There's nothing wrong with your dream, but that's yours. That's not. You're not sharing this around. You're not co-owners. You're not partners in that way. Um, partners on some level, but not that one. So that to me was kind of a curious thing to say. Where it's like, well, I'm trying to. I'm trying to build Team Alpha Male into a, t- a team of world champions, right? But you're the. But you're the financial. I mean, you've invested money in this, but you you own this. Like, this is your thing. This is not TJ's thing. TJ's trying to be a world champion for himself, which he which he achieved. I think the other part that was sort of interesting to me is, um, is you know, he was like, well, TJ's looking out for number one, which seems to be a fair criticism as such. Um, but people were like, you know, oh, doesn't the fact that Uriah Faber agrees with Connor? evidence of treachery it's like well there was something that uriah had said that i thought was interesting which was um you know that he had asked tj about have you heard anything about people going to colorado and tj was kind of like dismissive of it i mean listen if you're going to make a choice you need to be adult about it and up front okay so the method in which he handled it i don't think was optimum I, i i can i can agree with that you know if 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 this recitation is accurate but um but to me it's like one thing that i don't think that Uriah was prepared to accept, and I'm not saying that he should, because we don't have enough evidence from the outside looking in to really make a, a clear assessment, but it just sounded like TJ was looking around and was like, I've gotten everything out of this situation that I can. I'm not saying you have, or you have, or you have, or you have, or you have. I'm telling you, I have. I've, I've, I've grown as much as I can in this environment, basically. And I can continue to grow under the tutelage of where I'm going to go. Um, remember, he's not just—he's leaving Team Alpha Male, but he's not leaving Dwayne. I think we can all agree Dwayne's impact on him has been relatively positive. And um, he is going to be paid to train. And I suspect we'll have the ability to bring in training partners. It's not like he's going to be training with Brandon Thatch in any kind of um, super serious capacity. At least if he takes injuries seriously, he won't be doing that. And I think he does. So to me, it's like... Um, I understand what what Faber's trying to do. He's trying to build a team and be the head of that team and owns this gym and, and everything else. But unless you're cutting guys in on ownership stakes, you have a right to pursue your dream, but you don't have a right to police the dreams of others, um, especially when they don't have the same financial interest that you do or career interest related to a, a specific goal. that the, the two have diverged. So to me, the fact that he split – is, you know, look, did he handle all that great? No, he handled it pretty immaturely is is what it sounds like. But um, I I just found some of the logic curious. Like, you should be a part of something that you were once a part of, whether or not it's financially beneficial to you and whether or not it is um, beneficial for your career generally. Even if it comes at a career cost, you should stay there. That's essentially what you're advocating if you say he shouldn't have left. Um, As to the nature of this specific question about whether or not he'll do as well, only time will tell. The guy has managed to get himself here. I don't think he's an idiot. So we'll see how it goes. Um, If he loses to Cruz and then drops a few more, sure. Maybe we can start asking questions. But I don't like his chances against Cruz generally. And I don't know that this is going to have anything to do with it. The guy has a huge bank of knowledge and and preparation already built in—28 years worth, or however old he is. He's already got all that in the in the bank, all of that in the system. It's all there already. What he's going to try and do against Cruz is fine-tune it and channel it in certain directions around the game plan. But TJ Dillashaw basically is who he is at this point. He can add a little bit more, I think. you know, certain sequences of training and, and different things like that. But, um, so I don't know. We'll see how it does. We'll see how it goes for him. Again, I've seen their facilities to to call them nice to be an understatement. It's like, if you died and went to sports training, heaven, it's, it's crazy what they have. Plus it's at high altitude and everything else. So, so I don't know what they're going to do and we'll see how he does. But to me, um, if you watched that Faber interview and took away that this is some sort of validation of treachery, you got some serious listening comprehension skills that you need to work on. I say listening comprehension issues that you need to work on, less those so skills. All right. Someone says, What an ugly, ugly jersey you are wearing today, Mr. Thomas. Francisco Franco's favorite team. And you, sir are getting blocked. People always, I love seeing people being like, oh man, you know, oh you block this person, that must mean you can't handle them. Understand that if I block you, it's because chances are, and I, you know, I don't ever want to block you if I don't have to. I block it because I enjoy it. I enjoy the idea of you, in the world in which we live, you can't shut out idiots. You can't. Like, they're there right? They show up at your work. You have to stand behind them in line at lunch. You have to ride the Metro with them. They're your relatives. And there's very little you can do. On Twitter, I can just flush you away. I don't have to deal with you at all. And if you feel that way about me, you can do the same thing to me. That's why Twitter is great. Because you just go away. And I don't have to put up with your nonsense. It's not some like, gee, well, the guy really got me. What am I going to do now? No, it's you're so dumb. You're only encumbering my existence. So I will just send you upon your way, and I will be better for it. All right. Uh, Is the TJ Faber-Bang feud essentially like Jones, Rashad, Jackson three years ago? Uh, It's a little different. Obviously, the mechanics don't quite work. You know, one was the two guys were training together, and one was saying I would fight the other one, and one was saying he wouldn't, and then there was this claim of, you know, a different degree of and type of treachery there. But then the coach basically sided with John Jones and then Rashad goes on to do what he does. And so the mechanics of it aren't quite the same, but in terms of it being the sort of like three-way triangle kind of thing with coaching at the center um, and then the two fighters having their own dispute. Yeah, sure. It, it's certainly very similar, but again, like this is how we win. You now have, um you now have three guys at the top of the division, you know, and, Faber's position there is a little bit tenuous, but you get the idea. With Cruz, Dillashaw, and Faber, all willing to fight the other. And this is awesome for the division. Like, one of the hallmarks of what makes a great division, and frankly, in any organization, right? Like, like the Bellator featherweight division is not that great relative to the UFC's featherweight division. I think we could all agree on that. But one thing that makes it kind of interesting is that you have these guys taking turns. Right, so you have Pat Kern for a time at the top, and then you have Daniel Strauss at the time for a top, but then you have Patricio Pitbull at the time for a top, and so they are, there's these guys all taking chip shots at each other, and one they're all it's like a it's a it's a continuous game of king of the mountain, and so um, as a result of that, you get some interesting you get some interesting permutations. And I feel like so the light, the heyday of light heavyweight in UFC was kind of like that when you had uh, Tito and um, you had Couture and Liddell and then Vitor was thrown in there as well. And then, of course, over in Pride, you had um, a, 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 a ton going on there as well with Vanderlei and Sakuraba, um, Henderson moonlighting between the two divisions. So, like, to me, when there's these rotations at the top and everyone is taking shots at the other one, and in this particular case, TJ leaving the camp, now enabling this triangle to work more seamlessly, this is a good thing for us. If you're a consumer, this is only like, awesome, great. And I think it's going to be one of these things where we look back on Bantamweight and say, I don't know, we'll go back and say the glory days of Bantamweight, but this might be that one first true time where you can look at Bantamweight and you can say, this is the first real moment that Bantamweight began to assert itself. And... Um, It did so on the back of some dramatization, but really even before the dramatization, you know, Cruz versus Dillashaw, man, we've talked about it on this chat. That's a fight that necessitates that it be shot in a special way because the level of technique will be so high. If you miss anything, you miss everything, right? So you have, it's not just that, well, it's a dramatization soap opera. I mean, to an extent, but it's real competition here. The uncrowned or the, the the dethroned champion from injury coming back, hating these two guys, especially one of them, <clears throat> one of them asserting himself in the meantime, and then having this dramatic split with the other. Like, this is, this is what propels a division forward. This is what makes it a thing. This is when you look back on it in time. You say, remember those days? That's what this is going to be. So to me, it's less so about Jones, Rashad, Jackson. I mean, it's got some of those trimmings. To me, it's more about taking a step back and saying, this is about bansom weight in the UFC generally. All right. <clears throat> man, my attitude has been so effed by this camera mishap. You have no idea, man. I, I picked it up last week. I was in New York last week, and I came. And I know you don't care, or maybe you do. I don't know. But it's a big thing for me, and it's so it's so bothersome. It's so unbelievably bothersome. All right, true or false? UFC one ninety three does over a million pay-per-view buys. I'm going to say true. Or it'll do damn close, man. Dear Meat was the downfall of Hendrix. Oh God. I saw I didn't I I I didn't get a chance to hear that interview live, and then I went back and saw the article and I was like, You just gotta be kidding me. So no, false. DC will end up fighting Jones and NYC despite what he said about not defending his belt there. True. Not even Conor McGregor could predict the girl who broke into Faber's home. Oh god, I don't care uh luke agrees with ariel that new york rick should not wear a man bun to his wedding this saturday as it took as it will look 100 times goofier when looking back on it in 20 years i like new york rick if he wears a man bun to his wedding you might as well just get dumbass tattooed on your forehead and i like new york rick and he's a wonderful person i do not know what is wrong with him that he thinks that is something that to, to aspire to and you can say whatever you want about me like I'm no prized pig it's fine don't care don't need to be not worried about it I will, I will I look back at all my pictures and I want to burn them but not so much that I have a man bun where at some point you're just like you know why did my why did my if I looked at a picture of myself and I from back in the day and I had a man bun the only question that would circle my brain is why did my parents like have me you know I, I am I am a failure I'm not saying Rick's a failure. Rick's great, but like Ariel could not be more right about it. I don't know what people are thinking with that look. I mean, this is like the bell-bottoms of 2015. You're going to look back at that and be like, what, what were you doing? All right. it says, the first Premier League match I, I saw was an Everton one, and I've been a fan ever since. Is that a good choice? If you're not from a place, like if you're not from Manchester, and so you therefore root for, you know, United or City or whatever the case, any attachment you have to a sports team is automatically phony. Oh, my dad grew up watching the Steelers, but I'm from Oklahoma. Okay, well, your fandom is phony. <laughs> you're not from that place. Uh that's my view on it, which doesn't mean you can't enjoy it, All Madrid. But um, most fan, most most fandom in sports is is totally phony, which is fine. But that just acknowledge what it is. All right, GSP saying he's starting to get the feeling to come back. Do you like me? Hope he does not come back, given the winning way he went out. But let's say he does come back. How do you think he'd fare against Robbie Lawler? I think he'd fare unbelievably poorly against Robbie Lawler. Um, I don't like the idea of him coming back at all. Someone says the GSP of of UFC 100 beats anyone. Yeah, but that was what, 2009? That was six years ago. You know how much he's lost on his explosion and his takedown since then? Two knee surgeries? Oh, you forgot. He didn't just take time off. He tore his other ACL. I mean, in the NFL, like you tear both your ACLs, man, that's some career-ending injuries right there. Or like a running back. It's nuts. No, I hope he does not come back. And I know a lot of people disagree with me. It's not because he isn't amazing. He's the greatest welterweight of all time, one of the greatest fighters of all time, one of the greatest ambassadors we've ever had. I'm not saying if he didn't come back, he wouldn't be in big fights that did big money. not saying he isn't beloved. and not saying he doesn't deserve to be beloved. All those things are true. Just about everything about GSP is great. He has been nothing but great for the sport, but I hope he stays retired. Because he might come back and win one or two, and that's kind of cool. But if he fights anybody good, he's going to have a big problem. I have a hard time seeing him compete against anybody um, at that weight class. This is not heavyweight where you can just hang around late into your 30s and start, still kill people. This is, this is welterweight, man. This is not the most activision division mixed martial arts. It's the second one. Um, no, don't like it at all. Good question. Who are you taking in that Miles Jury versus Charles Oliveira fight at UFC on Fox 17 in Orlando? I hadn't thought much about it, um, but that's a great fight, right? I don't know. Maybe Oliveira. Maybe Oliveira. i have to think about it a little more, though. The Gibbler of the Week. A couple months ago, you suggested having a lighthearted Gibbler of the Week award as a recurring segment. It's a quiet week, so why not debut the segment um, with the choice from these candidates? Number one, Tito Ortiz for trying to blame his recent loss on Liam McGeary's soft baby lotioned legs. Okay, that's a big choice. Two, Johnny Hendricks and blaming deer meat. Three, Joe Warren for showing a zero tolerance attitude towards Nick Diaz saying when you break a law, you got to deal with it. And then subsequently testing positive for marijuana. Yeah, but he shouldn't be hemmed up either. But whatever. Travis Wolfert for going to a chili festival, then competing in an MMA bout and soiling himself in the cage. Uh, and then Justin Mayer. For unprofessionally provoking fighters on Twitter, official UFC ranking panelist. Uh, Justin Mayer should, first of all, be stripped of any ability to contribute on Twitter, much less Ranking society or rankings um, uh, for UFC generally. I'm going to go with Hendricks. I just find the idea that you're blaming gaming meat um, for your inability to make weight. It's like, dude, (laughs) first of all, gaming meat is like lean as hell, number one. I mean, just think about what you're killing—a wild animal, right? It's not some bovine trapped, you know, behind a fence line that's just being slaughtered and, uh, or you know, produced for mass consumption for fat Americans. It's not what's happening here. This is a wild animal. And second of all, like even if it's true that it to, you know high pro- uh, high uh, this version of high protein animal protein is um, you know uniquely contributory to. And inability to manage your weight—it's like, dude, you—you you clearly told Ariel in your interview that you learned tricks from Mike Dolce, and that you were bringing those tricks into this camp. The issue is not deer meat. The issue is your inability to manage the process of of either the weight itself and then the cutting. It's completely on you, and you and you profess to having a range of abilities and tricks and talents and tips and rules of the road on how to get from A to B and none of that went right so you clearly didn't have the expertise or you didn't implement it correctly or you know you bought something in between here and there but like to blame it on deer meat it's like well i had too much deer meat yeah you had too much deer meat the deer meat didn't force itself down your gullet you just you you, you purposely took it up and even if it, that's the case, like the idea that the, the, an incredibly lean protein like that would be, you know, I didn't make weight. Why? You know, I, I just ate too much cake. Well, yeah. <laughs> but why did you eat so much cake? Like, even if that was, can you imagine someone saying that being like, you know what, I just had too much cake. Then why are you eating cake? Well, I didn't know the cake was fattening. I mean, you fired a nutritionist. You said you knew what you were doing. It wasn't like you fired it because you were broke or you fired it because, you know, because, you you know, you fired it because you're like, you know what? I don't want to spend this money on this guy. And I basically know what he's doing anyway. You claim to have the skills. Uh, God, I couldn't make. I, I, I had too many hot dogs. Stop eating hot dogs. All right. Uh, Muscle Farm's finances aren't good. Hey, Luke. Mike Chiappetta tweeted last week that Muscle Farm isn't doing so great at the moment. was wondering if you heard any more on this info and what it could mean for fighters. Um, Hit up Mark Ramundi on Twitter because he had more information about this. Apparently, they have even after what Mike had tweeted that there was a new set of investors with more money. So uh, maybe nothing. But Mark knows about that. So hit him up. Uh, Let's see. Nick Diaz, court filing status. Nick Diaz has 30 days to file an appeal of uh, of the NSAC hearing results and that deadline is fast approaching. Have you heard anything on that side of things? I have not to date. Uh, How do you think John Dotson fares at bantamweight? I think he fares very well. I think he fares very well. He's super quick and athletic, even for flyweight. He's especially quick for for bantamweight. Um, He's very strong. We all know how athletic he is. Uh, He can wrestle really well. He might get a little bit out-muscled by the bigger guys, but um, I actually like him at bantamweight. I mean, we all thought, well, see what you can do at, at, at flyweight. You know, look, the same thing that stopped Johnson from being successful at Bantamweight is going to stop Dotson, too. So the Cruz fight, you know, he just eventually could not handle the physical size of Cruz. It wasn't like it was a, a major skill gap there. And I think that'll be the case with Dotson, too. So he'll hit a ceiling there. But if you're asking, like, is he going to do well at Bantamweight? I suspect he will do very well at Bantamweight, yes. Uh, the World Series of Fighting, eight man, one night, lightweight tournament, who are you taking? Um I will take Brian Cobb's in it, huh? I'll go with Islam Mamadov. Just cuz. Someone said smart money has to be on Richie. I don't know about that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Someone says, don't forget to check the YouTube comments too. I check it later. There's some good people on the YouTube comments. You know, there's some jackals on there too. But there's jackals everywhere. You know, um, but there's some good ones on there. YouTube is, you know, generally speaking, not even for MMA fighting, but YouTube generally, like anywhere you want to watch a music video, you want to watch, you know, dogs say the word mama or whatever. It's full of some trolls, but there's, there's funny people on YouTube as well. Not a GSP fan. He is boring to watch, but he would go through Robbie. Robbie was getting his butt handed to him against Rory. Do y'all watch fights? I'm just, I'm just curious about this. Do y'all watch fights? If you think, uh, that the Robbie Lawler, uh, who lost to, or beat, who personally beat Rory both times. Number one. Number two he got taken down in the first fight. He, couldn't, he didn't get taken down at all. And look how much Johnny Hendricks struggled to get him down. Robbie Lawler might have the best takedown defense at welterweight, period. And I have a hard time believing George St. Pierre, after two ACL repairs and all that time off, even if he's been relatively training, is going to come back and, and just take double leg Robbie down. Nah. uh No. I would be shocked if that happened. A prime GSP? Maybe. Maybe you know, just its ability to, to change angles on a double with a barzegar finish and to get up under you and to keep his feet moving and and to chain things together. Go for a go for a, a double as someone shucks it off, change it to a knee tap, all, all that stuff. Um, I would be shocked if George Saint Pierre got a single takedown against Robbie Lawler. If he had a good jab. We'll see how that jab will go, but no, I don't think he'd beat Robbie at all. I don't think he'd be I don't think he'd beat Johnny the first time, much less than the second time. Um, you know, he'd be competitive against some other guys, I suspect, but no. Mm-hmm. It was a sorry, bro, for your S luck or your, your S-E day. Good luck on the next one. The next one, man, we're going to have this high definition video. I'm telling you, when you see it, it'll blow you away, man. You'll see because people come up to me all the time. They're like, dude, how come your chats are kind of cool? But like the quality looks like you shot it with, you know, your, your, your webcam or your phone even. Well, that's why. And we fixed it, except not yet. We'll get there, man. Do uh, you think the USC would be willing to part with Ben Henderson if he is fighting out his contract? Um, they'd be willing to part ways with him if he was exorbitantly paid by Bellator. I don't think they want to lose him. I don't think that they're in any way eager to lose him. I think they want to pay him enough to keep him to stick around. They don't want that guy going to Bellator, but if it came down to it, would they pay him? Um, would they let Bellator overpay for him to go there? Yes. Now, is Bellator going to overpay to, to put him there? I don't know. They, you know, they made an offer to Phil Davis, but Phil Davis hasn't produced the same kind of action historically speaking as Ben Henderson, you know, recall Ben Henderson's, um, image changed over time. You know, in the days when he was fighting the Jim Millers of the world, he was like guaranteed action fighter. And then somewhere along the line against the Frankie Edgars and the Melendez and so forth, he was still a lot of that, but he also got a reputation as like a round fighter, not doing enough, that sort of thing. And then of course he had, you know, a great run, uh, at 170 recently, but, or a fight anyway. But, um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. It'll be interesting because I I am betting that they don't want that guy to go. But if, you know, if, if Bellator is going to pay an exorbitant amount, you know, they might, you never know. Yeah. I heard this too, that the wife, the estranged wife of Travis Brown was going to file and press charges against him. But, my knowledge, that hasn't happened yet. I, I won't comment on it until they, until that happens, because otherwise, I don't I don't know what to make of it. All right, good question, Luke. Now that Nick Diaz has rec- received his hundred thousand signatures, does it actually mean anything? All right, so this was a big topic on Twitter before the chat started. Um, So this is one of those things where it's like, if you're not not cool, man, if you're not celebrating this man, you know, F you, you don't know nothing, blah. All right, here's the deal. So there is a lot of good to this, actually. But a lot of it, it's it's not the good that everyone's talking about. Okay, if you think that President Obama... Is going to somehow address this situation, or even the White House generally? You're wrong. There's all kinds of stipulations contractually. You can read the Twitter feed of Jeremy Botter. He tweeted an excerpt of it. Things like this of a you know a, a, a administrative hearing in um, an organ of the government. They don't. They purposely don't want to weigh in on. So they don't have to do anything. And people have filled out you know hundred thousand signature petitions for, you know. Oh, can we get you know. Uh, uh Bruce Valanche to howl at the moon, you know or just, or just you know random things. It, it doesn't there are levers to the to government, right uh, I live in Washington DC and in an old career I, this was a, a, a lesson that I learned. There are various levers to the government right to get things to work, to get a committee, uh, a bill through committee to get a bill sponsor, to get a, um, to lean on a mayor. To to you know push them through city council or, or whatever the case may be. There's just levers to government. Getting 100,000 signatures on a petition on WhiteHouse.gov is not a lever of government. It's something else, which I'll talk about in just a second. But that's not what that is. And I heard some people claiming like, "Oh, we know it was just a sign of solidarity for Nick." Well, first of all, no, you no. They didn't put up a petition on WhiteHouse.gov as a sign of solidarity. I mean, they did on some level. But that wasn't the primary objective. I think as people realized, because it took it took a little bit of time to get 100,000 signatures, I think people over time said, well, maybe this won't result in all that much. That's not what happened when it first came out. That's not what happened for a first uh, while after it was out. People actually thought that this would force the hand of the government in some kind of capacity. Um, but that's not what its value is. The value of the, of the 100,000 signatures and why it's important, and I retweeted it, um, when people, you know, like, hey, let's get 100,000 signatures. The point of it is, it was that it made Nick Diaz's situation perpetually current, right? It was every day, people getting out there on Twitter, on social media, in conversations, in articles, everywhere. Did you see the 100,000 signature petition? Did you see the White House petition? Did you see the White House petition? Did you see the White House petition? It constantly made this reference point as an encapsulating kind of, uh, not idea, but this, this single thing you could identify as this cause, this reminder of the problems that Nick Diaz is facing and the injustice, frankly, is what that is. And then when you had people like share getting out there and saying, save this guy, and even Mayweather and and Cat Williams or or whoever the case may be, getting out there. What this did was that then it it became a PR victory because not only are we discussing it in our community, but it's bubbling over because we're all each day saying, let's get to 100 let's get to 100,000, let's get to 100,000, let's get to 100,000. That's the value, is that it constantly made things visible. It constantly put it in your face. It didn't just happen to be an administrative hearing that went away. That made the injustice of what happened at the administrative hearing current in the news cycle every single day. But to say, well, the value is it's a show of solidarity. Yeah, thanks. Awesome. So who cares? That doesn't, that's, that's the dumbest argument in the world. You know, oh, we're, we're showing Nick we care. Oh, I'm, I mean, let me go take these care dollars to the bank. Hey, can I pay my mortgage with your care dollars? <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm going I, I want to go buy this new car. My my mom uh, has to take public transportation in the city I'm in. It um, it has a poor system, so she has to get up in the bus at 6:30 in the morning, and it's an hour and a half to get to the place where she works, and just to be on her feet all day. I was wondering if there's an easier way to get her from between you know for to get her a car to get to make the commute shorter. I wonder if I can pay in hugs. I wonder if I can pay in thumbs up dollars. Like that's not the point, that's not the value of it. The value of it is people constantly making it a daily priority to talk about the injustice that happened to Nick Diaz. That is the value. Because Obama's not gonna do Jack S about it. The White House is not gonna do, I'd be shocked if they do anything about it. And what you really should be doing as well as signing that petition, because I do think signing that petition has value insofar as it just constantly gets in your face Nick Diaz, Nick Diaz, Nick Diaz. That's the that's the value of it. You should also be writing to the governor. I mentioned before, signing a petition on WhiteHouse.gov is not a lever of government, but pressuring a sitting governor to do something about a um, administrative body that he helped create and 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 is getting all sorts of bad press, and then and then harassing him, particularly if you are a you know, I don't mean like profanity-laced, but certainly being in his face about it, and especially if you're a, a Nevada citizen, you know, or Nevada, however you pronounce it properly, that 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 is pushing and pulling the lever of government. You know, campaigns work when they're coordinated and smart and specific and direct. And they have a clear ask. The problem, not so much with the petition per se, but with the Nick Diaz pushback is, we don't have a clear ask. We don't. Like, he's going to have a clear ask when he goes to court. But that's what for the court to decide. And people were saying, well, you can take this court, this petition result to the court. Do you think a court is going to give a flying F that they managed to do this? It's irrelevant to any case. I mean, look, I'm not saying the lawyers might not bring it up, but as we're talking about whether or not someone did or didn't obey the law based on one judge's interpretation. Or regulatory code based on a judge's interpretation whether or not there was this outpouring of support is helpful maybe in some very remote way but not really not for a courts the court is only gonna look at whether or not um, these regulations were and this this body acted appropriately the value is that every day you just saw it out there Nick Diaz interview so-and-so interview, so-and-so interview, so-and-so interview on Twitter, on Facebook. It just constantly was in your face because it created something to make him daily relevant. That That is the value of the Nick Diaz petition. No more, no less. And that's big, and that's why it's good. And if you signed it, thumbs up because that's right. But if your argument is, I signed it as a show of solidarity, and that's why Nick Diaz should care, I mean, I'm sure he's touched, <laughs> but, you know, your care dollars – uh, don't do a whole lot. And, and, and the petition, again, it only asks for a response. Um, you know, what is Obama really going to do? Is he going to go in there and he's going to, I'm going to dissolve this regulatory body. Like, no, that's not going to happen. But if you lean on Sandoval, I mean, it would take a lot of pressure, I admit. But you, this, this sport has fans that can do that if they really want to. The coordinated thing is to have an ask, to have a direct campaign where you are banging on his door literally and figuratively, every single day with a clear ask, and that is fire them. Get rid of every last one of them. And please, Governor Sandoval, we need to do something to reform this code. Because you have no appeals process in this. The fighters have virtually no rights. You saw a fighter get railroaded based on a vendetta and emotion by These commissioners who have abdicated their responsibility and do not deserve to be in power, period. And you need to do something about it because you are the one that put them there. That is your ask. Clear, direct, to the point, and you do it every single day. And you bang on those pots and pans as loud as you can in email, in phone calls, in letters, on his door, at rallies. That's what you do. You make so much noise about it that he has no choice but to answer to it. You just ring that doorbell until he can't stand you anymore. That's how you do it. That is pulling the levers of government. All right. Solving the dangerous issue of fighters dehydrating. Luke, why couldn't they just set rules where they not only have weigh-ins the day before, but they weigh the fighter right before his fight and have a stiff financial penalty for every pound over the agreed contracted weight because guys would still do it, and then you would bankrupt him. This is not—you guys seem to think that if we put in all these penalties that guys won't do it. No, they will do it, and then just eat the penalties. Some will change, sure, but not enough. Not enough you have to incentivize them positively around it. You have to give them a wider range of options. Just putting up all these rows of penalties I don't think is effective. Someone says, when you get angry, you tend to repeat yourself a lot. I'm not trying to be annoying. Well, you failed there. Just trying to improve the chat. Someone says, to be fair, He's sitting in an empty room talking to a computer for 90 minutes. It's not like he's doing Goldberg annoying things. You guys need to embrace the grind of, of a 90 minute live chat. All right. Let's go to this. Uh, oh, I'll do one more. Uh, Sage going to TriStar. As you know, Sage Northcutt has elected to train under Farazahabi Hobby at the famous TriStar gym. That's not quite true. Guys, you got to read more than headlines. I love you, James. Don't worry. It's not not singling you out. Just saying generally. You gotta read more than headlines. He's only going there for a week just to see and test it all out, meet GSP and get a feel for things. He may he may end up going there full time, but he has not of yet elected to do that. So he's not you say he has elected to train for a Hobby. For a week, for a week, as far as we know. That being said, what do I make of that? I think it's a very smart move. Sage Northcutt is basically impossible to hate. And I know that people hate him. And you, you say, oh, Luke, you're the grumpiest mother effer on the planet. Certainly this guy would annoy you. Like, he, he can't annoy me because he's he's like, you know, the people always say, oh, I, what happens if you meet your doppelganger in life? He is the he's like my doppelganger opposite. Like, that's who he is, right? Right. Um, now, I mentioned on Twitter, like, as happy and positive as he is, that is that is how sad and angry I am. I am the sage Northcut of despair. Uh, that is who I am. But he, you know, he's such a tremendous talent, man. Um, but it's one of those things where, you know, I don't want to make the parallels so direct where you're saying, well, T.J. Dillashaw had to leave Team Alpha Mill because it essentially ran its course. But I think there is something to be said for the fact that your dad did a tremendous job uh, in getting you to this place, but it's we'll see i'm not saying it's true or it's not true but it's at least worth examining whether or not he can really take it to that next level right the one where you're competing with top contenders in the world or maybe winning a world title um maybe he can i don't know um but it's worth it's worth exploring the idea that you might want to get the very best practices right if you want to if you want to be the best you got to train with the best and you have to have the best kind of um, team around you and in 19 if you can make those choices uh early and wisely you can do some great things, but you know, baby steps. He has not elected to train with them except for more than a week just to see what's going on. And then he's going to figure things out. And if he goes back to them, great. If he goes to another team, that's cool too. Frankly, I like to see him weigh his options to see what's best for him, but, uh, we'll see. So what's so the same about Tarek Safedin I know everyone pronounces it. Tarek, but I have a friend named Tarek. It's exactly the same. I don't know. Um, Talks a little bit different because he's obviously much more established in his career. For that, you're just going to get um, the best kind of camp preparation, the best kind of strategy, the best kind of maximization of your existing skill set. That's not the same as developing this like diamond, you know, and, and polishing it and, and everything like that. It's very, very different. I guess a diamond's a fully formed thing too, but okay, clay or whatever, whatever stupid metaphor you want to use. It's he, Sage Northcutt, still has a tremendous amount to get better and the question is who is going to help him get there the best the fastest and the most complete way Uh, why is the drama in and around the fighters lives seemingly more popular than the actual fights themselves lately because a big part of sports popularity is um people's lives people love to gossip Everyone claims they don't like the gossip. Well, your traffic tells me otherwise. I'm not saying you in particular are watching this, but you generally, y'all love it. Y'all love it. Y'all love this Team Alpha Male thing like I never thought people could ever love Team Alpha Male things. Y'all love it. Um, so I don't know. Uh, and why do you love it? I don't know. Personally, the one thing I think is interesting is the larger question of what it does to his training about what it means for fighters to uh, you know, assert themselves in a very selfish way, uh, which, I, which I defend, but nevertheless. Um, that, to me, is kind of the interesting part about it. But, but look, <laughs> is there a market for this kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, there is. Uh, okay. Michael Bisping and middleweight steroid users. And by the way, there's just this fascination about Ronda Rousey generally, and particularly about who she's romantically linked to. I think there's just a bunch of dudes out there who want to live in a fantasy world about maybe if I meet her, I could, I could, you know, you never know what could happen. Yes, I know what could happen to you. Nothing, (laughs) nothing. Take my word for it. Nothing's going to happen. Uh, all right. There's your gloom for the day. That one's free. All right. Michael Bisping and the middleweight steroid users. When Bisping was in his prime, every fighter who was ranked above him or beat him, so Henderson, Sonnen, Evanderlei Silva, Belfort, and Anderson Silva, had used PEDs or run from a test. Is it possible that Bisping was the best clean 185-pound fighter in the world? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's an interesting co- point. I need to look at his record to make sure that's all true. But, um, wow. his I mean, there, look, I've stated my beliefs before on PED testing. I think it should be um, the thing I am most concerned about these days is the rights of fighters. I don't think they have hardly any at all. And if we could live in an environment where they had some and that meant that the current testing was not as good as it is today, I'd be okay with that. I know a lot of people aren't, and I'm okay with that too. I understand your position. But if someone wanted to give a rebuttal to my point, uh, a, a decent one, although it still wouldn't convince me, would be Michael Bisping's because his career has been uniquely effed by people who have tried to skirt the system. I mean, in a very special and direct way. So, um, is he the best clean middleweight of his era? Well, he's up there. I mean, there was still Rich Franklin, right? Um, who held a belt. Um, yeah, he's up there, man. What is your opinion on the next stage of the free Nick DS movement on the hundred K threshold? If GSP returns, where would you rank him in the welterweight division? God, I'm not sure the rankings would work on that one for someone who relieved himself of the belt. Um, I don't know, but I would give him a top five fight and go from there. Uh, I guess I wouldn't rank him due to inactivity. Who would you like in his first fight to be against? I would not like his first fight to be against anyone. What parts? I okay, guess, okay, okay, you're saying if he comes back. Um, let's see. Oh, my laugh at what I'm about to tell you, but. I would say um, Rick Story. Uh, Tyrone Woodley, maybe. Something like that. What parts of GSP's fight style techniques do you think will be most dated? I think his inability to establish the takedown. Y'all are sleeping on Robbie Lawler's takedown defense. I'm telling you, man. His takedown defense is Phenomenal both from the way he positions himself so that he, you can't set it up to what happens when he gets his hands on you to, three, the way he never lets his someone cover his hips. <sighs> Bro, Robbie Lawler's takedown defense is bulletproof. What areas would he need to most work on in his opinion? All of them, man. All of them. I mean, not so much his guard, I suppose, but, you know the key to his game towards the end of his career, or at least the, this is, even the second half of it was establishing the takedown threat, at least if not the takedown itself. And I think against the elite guys today, he's, he's not going to enjoy that. So, well, then you have to ask yourself, well, what else does he have there? He can kickbox if you want, but he likes to work behind the jab. So I don't know. Question about the Muhammad Ali Reform Act. Um, I'm going to pass on that one just for now because it's, too long and complicated, but there's more coverage of that coming. Uh Vandalay's case headed back to the NSAC. I don't th- I think they're gonna probably suspend him for a couple of years. The max they can do without being rebuked by an inter- by a, by a court. Right? What's the what's the most we can give this guy? Because and this is what I worry about for Nick Diaz too. I think a court is gonna certainly rule in Nick Diaz's favor. I wasn't I wasn't very favorable with that before, but now I am. But then what? then you have to find a way to get the commission to listen to evidence or an interpretation of regulation. They're just not all that willing to do that, are they? Now, maybe in the case of Diaz, because you have people like Jeff Nowitzki saying he's working with them to try and help them understand what the facts are that Nick Diaz might have some hope. I can't believe I'm saying that, but maybe it's true. Right. Um, but for old Vanderlei, he's not getting that kind of inside help. So, and, and much of what he says is about, well, you know, you don't have the jurisdiction over me because I was unlicensed. No one seems to be buying that. Still, not even the court bought it. Uh, Irish Joe Duffy uh, versus Connor getting closer. Duffy recently stated that he believes he could beat Connor easily again. So, if Joe Duffy gets past Poirier in an impressive fashion, and Connor beats Jose Aldo. Do you think we could possibly see these two Irish fighters fight in 2016? Um, highly unlikely. Not to say that uh, a fight between them is unlikely, but a fight between them in 2016. I mean, they're in two different weight classes. Y'all, y'all seem to think that Conor's is going to win a belt and be like, oh, I abandoned it. Oh, I'm just going to keep switching up weight classes. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. If he loses, maybe. And he wants to go up to, to, to lightweight, maybe. But you take that crown from old... Uh, Jose Aldo, you're going to be defending it for a while. Discovery going through with a lawsuit against the UFC. Yes, it is. What are the restrictions on that discovery information getting out to the public? And what can we expect over the next year to happen with the lawsuit? The latter part of the question is probably best suited for uh, Paul Gift. You can find him on Twitter, at MMA Analytics. He's been covering it for a bloody elbow. And him and, and John Nash better than anyone, but to the first part of the question, were the restrictions on the discovery information getting out to the public? So, the way that would work is right now, um, the the, uh, the plaintiffs' attorneys are going to get a chance to look at it. Right? I mean, they're going to they're going to get to look inside um, what's behind door number three, which is going to be very very interesting. <laughs> but the problem is, you and I are not going to hear about it unless that information leaks. And if the information leaks. And so, if it can reasonably pinpoint who uh, it was that linked it, they can sue that person. So, I would not expect that information to be made public unless unless there is a trial. If this goes to trial, then some of this information will be made public. So, the case of exhibits A, B, and C, and, and, and uh, part of evidence and, and, and whatnot. Um, So that tells you that Zufa has a pretty tremendous incentive to, at some point, um, settle. Because I doubt they want that information being made public. All right. Uh, Thoughts on Ryan Bader refusing to face Rumble Johnson? I thought Rumble Johnson was also the one saying he didn't want it. Do I have that backwards? I mean, uh, if you're a Bader, would you want to fight Rumble? People always all being like, "Oh, he's ducking him, bro." Well, maybe, maybe he is. You know, and it sucks for someone like uh, Gennady Golovkin that people have ducked him. I mean, he might be the most ducked fighter of our era. It has badly affected his career um, because of it. But if you're a Ryan Bader, would you want to fight? Anthony Rumble Johnson. I'm not condoning it. I think at some point you just got to fight these guys out here and see what happens with it. But the dude's on the cusp of the title shot. Do you really want to risk that against a stylistic nightmare? You know, do, do you really want to do that? Or do you want to wait and see if you can get a title shot? You know, And I don't think he's gonna, I'm just saying if you're Ryan Bader, is it really all that much of a mystery to figure out why he doesn't want that fight? It's a terrible fight for him. Um, he is doing as well in the UFC as he's ever done. He's got some seriously good scalps to his name now. He just beat Rashad Evans, the former champion. Uh, And he wants to see if he can parlay that into maybe a title shot outright or replacing someone on late notice or something like that. I I completely understand why. I I don't love it so much. I'm not going to say it's awesome. It's not awesome. But it makes a lot of sense. Who'd like to see replace Stipe Miocic against Ben Rothwell? and it's a tough one. Um, I guess Roy Nelson, which I believe they already fought in the IFL, but they're two different fighters these days. I guess I would say Roy Nelson. Uh, Jones beats Cormier more easily. After watching DC and Gus fight, I personally came to the conclusion that what John did to DC was more amazing. I also believe that the second fight would be a more dominant performance by the former champ. But you don't list for me any reasons. P.S. DC taking a lot of damage the last three fights a factor. Yeah, plus getting older. Sure. You know, I think he had a bit of a wake-up call being like, okay, I cannot keep taking, I cannot take damage in my next fight like I did against Gustafson. Like this will have impacts long after I am done competing. Um, But if you, if you state something like I personally came to the conclusion that what John did to DC was more amazing. And I believe that the second fight would be a more dominant performance by the former champ. Yeah. You have to state reasons. Like, I don't know. I don't know what your argument for that is. All right. Let's go to the Twitter machine, which I know people sometimes hate when I say it that way, but too bad. All right. Is there a better choice of fighters past, present than GSP to head of fighters union? Um, he would be a great choice to the extent that he's willing. <laughs> Who's the third biggest pay per view draw after McGregor and Rousey? Maybe Jones? With Tristar, Sage, and Elevation TJ, will we see camps start recruiting young talent? Well, again, he's not signed with Tristar, so this is not a new paradigm. And also, he's 19. How old is TJ Johnson? I was like 20. This dude's married, for crying out loud. Here's a legit question. Has Sage Northcutt ever shaved? Right? I mean, has he ever had to shave his face? It's a legit, what, does, does he know how to shave? Serious question. I mean, I'm not saying he's not a man. Dude, dude he's, he's all there, but, you know, this kid looks like he's never had to pick up a razor in his life. Hey, TJ Dillashaw is almost, TJ Dillashaw is going to be 30 in February. So recruiting young is not exactly the right question here. Luke, is telegraphing strikes with your voice a bad thing? Case in point, Holly Holm. She is not telegraphing strikes. Um, she is not sounding something out and then throwing afterwards. She's doing it at the same time. Right. The reason why is when you hit a heavy bag, one, two, what a lot of people do, and if you've never trained, it's almost a guaranteed lock you will do this, uh, people doing jujitsu too and they're trying to like, you know, get a big pass going or something, a big, a big, a big movement. They hold their breath. Right. <laughs> right. Because you, you think if you hold your breath, you can tense more and then drive more power into something. It's just, a, it's a natural reaction that people have doing that. But of course you do that. You gas. I don't care what kind of shape you're in. You do that. You're going to gas very quickly. Right. Um, that's what that is. <clears throat> so. What she's doing is, and she does it in an exaggerated way, but she's trying to complement the strike with a breath out at the same time. Huh. Huh. Huh, huh. That's what she's doing. So that she exhales. It's her way of guaranteeing she exhales. But she's not going, huh. She's not doing that. What are the chances that Faber corners Cruz in the Villashaw fight? Yeah. Not not strong. Did I personally sign the petition? No. Uh, but I'm sympathetic to it. But, I mean, as a journalist, I don't know if that's appropriate. So it says, it felt good to be part of people power, even if the expectations of Obama are minimal. It's the people versus Pat Lundvall in terms of the... Uh, in terms of the... Petition. Okay, I can buy that. That's cool. That's fine. Hypothetical, John Jones comes back, retains his belt, beats Bader, and then what? What's the story at light heavyweight? Best light heavyweight ever. If he's not already. Is Lawler versus Condit a pick'em 50-50 fight? It could be if Lawler decides to stand, which I think he will. That that's why that fight's a little more interesting. But styles make fights, and GSP's gonna want to wrestle him because that's just what he does to set up the strikes. Not going to work against Lawler, bro. telling you. You can go back and you can watch tape of the first Rory fight and be like, oh, his takedowns are great. Mm-mm. Go back and watch the second Hendricks fight, then go back and watch the second Rory McDonald fight. Rory Mc- uh, Robbie Lawler's takedown defense is bananas. Bananas. Go show his takedown defense to any wrestling coach in MMA and come back and tell me what they say. If it's anything short of the guy taking their pants off, I'll be shocked. Can you tell us again what your favorite beers are? Colt 45, Slurricane, um, Colt 45 Double Malt. <laughs> I mean, I'm not being serious, but I'm gonna go, going to go with the bit. OE, Steel Reserve, those kinds of things. By the way, the guy who runs 40ouncemaltliquor.com is a tremendous MMA fan. Like, uh, Not kidding huge MMA fan. And I think he has the world's largest collection of malt liquor bottles in the world. Um, which is sort of a weird thing to collect, but there you go. Uh, did you watch the fighter and the kid misrepresent the Dwayne Arnold story? I have not seen that. No. By the only one who thinks Alvarez could use Dos Anjos blueprint versus versus Pettis via pressure and wrestling. Nope. He absolutely could. People all think that, that he's going to go in there and try and strike it out with Anthony Pettis. I don't think he's going to try and do that at all. I think he's going to try and wrestle Pettis. So Pettis needs to make sure that's up to par because if it's not, Eddie Alvarez can wrestle, man. Eddie Alvarez can wrestle really well. So, you know, Anthony Pettis has his work cut out for him. Someone says Rothwell was removed from the card. There you go. Didn't even know. Uh, let's see what else we got here. They said Chad broke his foot during camp before the Connor fight. Does that change your overall view of the fight? No, I think both guys are just really banged up. I think generally speaking, they should fight again because I think it'd be a better and fight the second time around. And um, but some of the things you saw that Connor had limitations with, like his wrestling takedown defense, it's going to show up again. And then some of the things you saw with Chad Mendez as a real liability is going to show up again too, his inability to pass guard. Um, but one thing i sort of i was actually working out today and one thing that kind of occurred to me because that was like a ufc highlight come on one of the tvs and it was uh, uh, i think it was a kind it must have been a conor mcgregor highlight because that's why i was thinking about it it's easier said than done and one of the things that conor mcgregor does extraordinarily well is he is an excellent rhythm striker and i don't mean like a slow rhythm striker i mean like a cascading rhythm striker so he gets going with the pop pop one one two kick And he likes to get around, and then he's just—he's cutting angles on you, jabbing as he's cutting angles, jab, low kick, uppercut. Like he just starts going off on you, and and the more he strikes, the more emboldened he gets, and he gets a hell of a chance. So sometimes he takes a strike in the middle of doing that, but it works for now, right? It works really well. It's something he's tremendous at, and I think that one thing that you have to do with him, without getting lit up, easier said than done. No one ever pressures the guy backwards. Like, if, if Chad Mendes did anything, he took advantage of McGregor's forward pressure in some of those takedowns. Remember that? McGregor was inch on him, inch on him, inch on him, inch on him, and Chad would get up under him and then pff, put him on his back. Okay, if you let Conor McGregor walk forward on you, you're probably going to lose. Which is why I'm thinking he might be Jose Aldo. I'm not 100% convinced about it yet because I think McGregor's just so open to counter-strikes because he thinks he's just, his chin is impervious. Um, but man, if he can back you up, he lights you on fire with his cascading volume striking. Um, someone's got to back him up, man. Someone has to back that guy up and put him or and or put him on his back. But if you just put him on his back and then you back up and then you put him on his back and then you back up, I, I don't know how much of a winning formula that is. You got to pressure that guy, and that is hard to do because he will swing in the pocket. But you you got to find a way, man. You got to find a way. He is so good. Conor McGregor is so good at. Putting pressure on guys. Not pressure like squeeze pressure, pressure as in walking forward and getting guys to back up. He is tremendous at that. Super tremendous. Um, <laughs> other than opponent fighter decline, is it a coincidence or smart planning that John hasn't had rematches? Partly coincidental. Um, partly just he did fight some of the guys when they were a little bit older. Everyone's like, "John Jones beat old guys." John Jones might be the best fighter we've ever seen. So enough with your silliness. Um, but okay, <laughs> all right. See, Patrick Wyman agrees with me about my my Robbie Lawler takedown defense argument. I'm telling you, man. It's not like, like George St. Pierre has had amazing double legs for a long time. There's like this body of evidence you can point to. I mean, like for years, you can just point like, look at his takedowns here. Look at his takedowns here. Look at his takedowns here. I mean, amazing years with the takedowns. Lawler's takedown defense has only really gotten just lights out last year or so, maybe two at most. Um, So there's not a huge body of evidence. But in, in in the same way, anyway. But when you watch that McDonald fight, and you watch the the second Hendricks fight, and Hendricks is trying to cover his hip, to come around the corner on a single leg, and he cannot, because Robbie Lawler will not go down. Watch him try and watch. There's a sequence, I think, in the fourth or fifth round, maybe the fourth round, where Hendricks is trying to run the pipe so goddamn hard. He's driving the shoulder, and then he wants to come around and then wrap the hip, right, so he can get around and close off the hip. Can't do it, man. It cannot do it. Lawler's able to corkscrew into him the whole time to prevent it. I, it's a ridiculous virtuoso level of takedown defense from Robbie Lawler. All right. Someone says, shout out uh, from South Africa. Thanks, South Africa. Y'all are great. Thanks for Trevor, Trevor Noah. He's actually pretty funny. Uh, Okay, Hannah Barat, 145, can he be a contender? I have my doubts, but we'll see. You've mentioned the pay model in boxing a number of times. If the UFC operated under a similar model, do we have a sage on TV as a hot prospect? Good question. I like this. It's a very good question. UFC created the buzz with their media campaign. Do we have embedded for non-needle movers, say DJ Dillashaw? In boxing, Mayweather and Pacquiao are the main money drivers and act as both the fighter and the UFC, the promoter. Their payouts are big, but where is the investing on them in the future of mid-level stars continue boxing's place in the sports world? While UFC gets criticized for not paying enough, they tend to not get credit for investing in other MMA fighters, unlike boxing, and they have had vested interest in them succeeding as well. So that's not quite true. You're being a little bit unfair. Like I remember Canelo has been fighting on big cards for a while, and um, I could be mistaken about some of these details, so if I am, feel free to correct me. For me, his breakout moment was when Canelo was on the main card, and he may have been the co-main event, but he was... I'm only going to go off memory. I'm not going to double-check here. Uh, Mayweather versus Mosley. Remember the tagline for that was, Who are you picking? The worst. But uh, Canelo fought on that, and I believe... Did he fight Kodo's brother? I kind of want to say he did. Um... In any event, he got rocked early in that fight and then fought back, fought his way back and won, put it, put the stamp on the guy. And that was the first time I was like, wow, this kid, can, this kid can box. He's got some real power. He's got a tremendous look. This is something. And they had featured him on that card in an appropriately made match to do that. What you don't have in boxing is um, – but also, it takes a while to produce a prospect, right? It takes years and years of going through the amateur system. Not in Canelo's case. He sort of sidetracked that or skipped that. But typically, that's what it requires. And then you have to build these guys up from bigger and bigger and bigger cards and bigger and bigger and bigger fights. And that takes... It's a lengthy process. And MMA guys can kind of, like, fast-track that a little bit. But that's problematic, too, because is the best place to secure your development inside the ultimate fighting championship. I mean, it's the ultimate fighting championship. So that that's a very difficult thing. But the other part is... Um, no one really owns elite boxing in the way that MMA is owned in the elite side by UFC. So like, you know, there's no top rank shoulder programming combined with a network to get that done or PBC shoulder programming. I mean, they have some with, um, spike, but it's, it's, it's insufficient. It's typically centered around the main eventers. By the time you're main eventing, you're far enough along where either, you know, somebody or in the case, you know, maybe you're over the hill or, it's, just not, it's not the same kind of developmental way. Boxing has been a little bit hamstrung because it takes a long time to find a prospect and to groom them and to build them up. The best one has typically been the amateur system where you can get a guy with like, you know, a gold medal or something like that. Then you can parlay that into something um, or a silver medal or you know, some kind of medal from the Olympics in which they you know, they bombed in the last one. So it's been a little bit different, but no one really owns that space to take care of it and to develop it for themselves, for the top-ranked band, for the PBC brand. Um, the promoters don't have that kind of stature or ability. That's actually one thing I would say where the MMA model is a little bit better, right? I mean, I think the boxing model is better in terms of the payouts and they're not great either, but the payouts are a little bit better for the elite guys. Um, Again, relatively speaking, there are some obviously, you know, some discrepancies there, but, um, but the way in which the UFC has a sort of vertical integration and, and, and assumes the space. In other words, if, if, UFC sort of assumes it in a way that they say to themselves, if we don't do this for ourselves, no one is going to do this for us. And so they, you know, they, they, they go about doing the work that way. Whereas I think boxing says, if we can find a couple guys, we'll put them on our existing. They just don't have the existing infrastructure and capability to produce something like that from soup to nuts. They, 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 they just don't have that, which again, I think is, I will not say a, a indictment on them necessarily, but it certainly shows that the UFC said there's some parts of boxing we're going to borrow but one thing we're going to do is we're just going to be a little bit more complete as an organization that not only can stage fights, but can become like when Lorenzo Petito talks about the UFC being an entertainment company, that is partly what he is talking about, right? Yes, we can go and UFC 190, we can put, we can stage an event, but we can do a lot more than that too. Uh, and top rank and uh, golden boy, um, they don't really have that same kind of capacity. They rely heavily on their television partners to do that kind of thing. But again, by the time those guys are involved, it's really at a very backwards level, not backwards exactly, but a traditional level where, you know, they're going to focus on Deontay Wilder. Well, Deontay Wilder's kind of already made it a little bit, right? You know, so, um, it's backwards. Let's do one more and then we'll get out of here. All right, uh, World series of fighting this weekend. fight are you most interested in? So there's Fitch versus Okami. Okami at welterweight. Lugua Ivana versus Derek Miemann, uh Vinny Magalash versus Matt Hamill. Nick Newell versus Tom Marcelino. Marcelino and then Magomed uh, Babulatov versus Donovan Frelo. So get this. That Babulatov versus Frelo fight is a title fight, and it's opening the main card. I think it's a flyweight title fight, if I'm not mistaken. That's kind of crazy, so that should be interesting. But I, get, I think more than anything, Fitch versus Okami. Okami was a giant middleweight. I want to see what kind of uh, welterweight he's going to be. All right. I am sorry for the complications. I am sorry it didn't work. I'm embarrassed. I got here an hour early setting all this up. It's it's just, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. It, hurt, it hurts my soul. Um, I'm going to get it right. And you can see the lights already work, right? See that? See that? Let's well, already work. Um, thank you so much for watching. You can get at us on SoundCloud. We're there. Or iTunes.com slash promotional practice for the podcast. And uh, yeah, I'm at Thomas on Twitter and Luke.Thomas at SBNation.com for email. Thank you so much for watching. I appreciate your support. I apologize sincerely for the lack of production on this. We'll get it fixed. Your patience is noted and appreciated. And until next time, stay frosted.